You're listening to the Unsung Podcast, where we talk about classic albums and decide if they deserve that distinction. And we also talk about some unsung classics in the hopes of bringing them to a new audience. And at the end of it all, we let you decide if we are right or wrong. This is the Unsung Podcast. Podcast, and this is episode number 33. On last week's episode, we were discussing Chosen Lords by AFX or AFX Twin. The public voted, and you guys decided that it would indeed be added to our discography. So, thanks to everybody who listened. On this episode, we are talking about Pink by Boris. Enjoy. You're listening to the Unsung Podcast. I am your host, Mark Fraser, and I'm joined by two fashionable men. Hi. Hi. My name is David. Da- <laughs> that's not how we start the podcast, is it? No, that's that's <laughs> definitely not. I'd, but to you, my you're left. not dressed the way you normally dress, because David today is wearing a tasteful pink shirt and some black trousers, which uh-huh. is contrary to his usual sweaty vest and shorts combo. Well, you know, sometimes you've got to uh, look the part. I actually noticed, and I don't know if he's meant it, Mark's wearing a pink polo shirt, yeah. bought from by his fashion consultant, yeah. and David's wearing a pink shirt, and yeah. we're doing the album Pink by Boris. I know you don't have a pink thing No, I'm, I'm monochrome today. You've got a little pink flower over there on your windowsill, that's nice. And I've also got pink vinyl sitting out. Yeah. But we're kind of reaching now. Pink things definitely Great. exist. So, can, um, can confirm that. Yeah, to, to, to my right, we've actually kind of switched around. In fact, we've switched a lot of things around today, actually, haven't we? Because you're, you're to my right now. And that's yeah. very rarely that happens. I know. That I trust you on my... Not even politically. My, my good side. I hadn't noticed your watch. You've got like a kind of red heat, sort of metal, digital My ex-girlfriend fascia. got me this for my Christmas when I was 19. So this watch, it's a Casio uh, alarm chrono, electroluminescence, silver. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's now 13 and a half years old and I've never had to change the battery in it. Wow, man. They don't so, make them like that anymore. No, exactly. I know. That's pretty incredible. Do you know what this is? Japanese technology, mate. Wow. So is that a little link here <laughs> it could to well our be. album? Um, am, I, am I just... Oh, that's my uh, Chris. Here? He doesn't have a watch. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that, so this is... <laughs> so Pink by Boris was Mark's choice. That was my Mark choice. And Mark has been uncharacteristically sheepish today and said that he's not taking the lead in this podcast. And I'm, I'm not, not quite sure... What's what he's got in mind here? Because normally he would he would own it. But. So I, I basically I heard this album like maybe five or six years ago, right? And it's one of those albums once, that, and I said it because it's cool. Yeah. And I don't know what to say about it. <laughs> I heard this album and I thought this is amazing, and because I think it's so fucking good, I have never listened to anything else by Boris. Because <laughs> <laughs> do I ruin it?
That's fine. That's genuinely true. Do that's not okay. send us your money. We do not deserve it. <laughs> Such I thought that. I, th- I think that's quite a nice, a nice sentiment. I think that's positively shameful. Why? No, I understand that. Like, why dilute perfection? Whoa! Like, I thought it was... This band's amazing. They've got up to nineteen other albums. Yeah, I'm not going to listen to any of them. Yeah, that's sounds... fine. I was like, this is all I need. Like, I don't need to know anything more about this band. I've heard this record. It's like I a... fucking love it. I don't need to know anymore. That's like when a Brit goes on holiday and they find a superb resort. In, in Mallorca, why test out any other part of the world when you find that really good beach and a you know a superb uh, weather spins? It's like you know, why why t- test anything out? Or I it, like this guy. Or he's, he's with the mood of the nation right now. Or it's like that friend you've got that is still seeing the girl that you started going out with in high school in like third year and he's like this is as good as it's gonna get guys and you're like no it's definitely not it's not it's generally not the way I approach music but I just I thought man I just like this record so much and I just I don't know but to be fair there's also bands that make one great album one good debut album and then they never never do this is is their 10th album I know so why did you think that suddenly (laughs) oh yeah 10th everything else is shit yeah yeah like, I just I don't know I just thought man I like this record so much I don't really want to know anymore this is everything I, mean, I want like, your logic that some bands only make one great album underpins a lot of what we're doing here mm-hmm. in some ways but that this would just happen <laughs> to be that album being that it's the only one you've heard I thought it'd be an interesting talking point as well to be fair your stupidity yeah <laughs> <laughs> your complete lack of dedication to the product I have heard some other stuff by Boris okay I'm, I'm not just listening to this but I always keep coming back to this I just get the feeling that when you did that you had a closed mind you're like ah, it's not pink um, I'm not probably interested. was yeah probably right I've changed a lot since then though well it makes a lot of sense now why you don't want to drive on this episode <laughs> <laughs> I can I can assure you they have a number of other uh, very good albums Heavy and, Rocks is a good record and well which one well the, the one that's 25 years old this year which one? I don't know. Mark, I've only heard one of them. If you did any due diligence, you would know. I know how many records they released. Got. I know many different variations you would, of records they have that as well. They released yeah. Heavy Rocks in 2002, and then a completely different album, yeah. also called Heavy Rocks in 2011. Oh, you're but the you one. don't know that because you didn't do your. There's <laughs> always a 25th anniversary of Heavy Rocks. So they must have released one before that as well. 2002. So 25 years in 2002, mate. 2002 was when they released Heavy Rocks. The band has been a band for 25 years. Is that what it is? We are. <laughs> yeah, their <laughs> first their first record was 1996. 1996. I thought they were older than that. <laughs> Fuck. I didn't do no research at all. David, <laughs> <laughs> David so, yeah. uh, Absolute Ego in 96 was their debut. That's a good Mark. record, that. Mark, this is your choice. Yeah. I thought it'd be a good choice. It is a good choice, though. I mean, we can we can if we break now. To give Mark a row, we can seamlessly cut back into the podcast. <laughs> I think, oh. I think, I think it's okay. <laughs> I think it's well. I think well, I'm. I am not. I don't care. Right? I fucking love this record. I mean, I that much care. is evident. I don't fucking care. Right? <laughs> it's a great record. It deserves to be a discography. Fucking podcast over. Let's just go home. Let's go to the pub. The worst part is that Mark did the cash call this week, and the shocking insincerity of that cash call when you consider. <laughs> Chris, do you like this album though? Well, okay, I'll tell you what. <laughs> yeah, let's go on. Yeah. Someone's got a fucking driver's there. Um, okay. Well, okay. A little background on Boris. Yeah, Dave. How Boris you are a band from Japan. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have a three piece. Tw- 24 albums. That's 23 albums that I, Mark hasn't yeah. listened to. Actually, actually, can I just add a caveat to that? Mark, uh-huh. you just you just watch and learn. <laughs> um, they have. Some estimate up to 24 albums, except many of those albums are also like variation mixes on the same album. So uh, the album Vane 
has two different versions, one that's more like noisecore and one that's grindcore. They have the album Smile, which has a US mix and a Japanese mix, and they're quite different. Then they also have Smile Live. Uh, they have two albums called Heavy Rocks that are completely different albums. So they're a really weird and very kind of esoteric Japanese oddball outfit. I can, up to, up I, to, I can understand on. why it would be daunting looking at their back catalogue and trying to understand where to begin. But, I mean, I think this record for a lot of people was the beginning. Oh, there's no getting uh, anything you look up online. Like, Pink always sticks out as being yeah. the, 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 the standout album of Boris's back catalogue. And that just shows that Mark took the time to skim read Wikipedia. <laughs> <laughs> I did do some research, don't get me wrong. Okay, I, I have done the reading on this. I know they've been going for a long time. They've done a lot of collaborations. Yeah, with like Mersbo and Sun. Oh, it's not, no, it's not Sun. Oh, I just like bowing people up when because the O was in there. Like Apex Twin. Apex Twin. Uh, <laughs> uh, no, my first impression of Boris was that Sun split altar. And uh, I think it really brings out a whole other bit of sun, obviously, because it's got mm-hmm. percussion and stuff like that. And there's a couple of tracks on that. Etna in particular, fucking unbelievably sun good. Sun benefits from percussion. Yeah. Um, I think, likewise, Boris benefited in some ways from some aspects of Mersbo. I would say um, so, yeah. Because of the, the, the kind of noise layers and stuff that did. Albeit Mersbo on its own is fucking poor. It is tough going. It's hard to listen to, yeah. <laughs> Slash unlistenable. <laughs> um, Do you know? Oh, well, actually, have you ever been in that little record store? I don't know if it's still there, actually, in Finiston in Glasgow. Uh, Volcanic Tongue? Volcanic Tongue. Volcanic the, the Tongue. Kind of heavily leans on the jazz and experimental well, I, yeah, stuff. Yeah, exactly. I went in there, and uh, this was a few years ago now. But I went in there and the most mainstream and the only artist that I recognised out of everything was Mertzbau. And <laughs> I mean, fucking hell, that's, you know, I was definitely out of my depth there when he's the most straightforward artist that you've got on your record do you know, uh, store. Do you know the gentleman Kevin McCarvel? I do know Kevin McCarvel, yeah. Kevin McCarvel and his uh, comrade from the group Smoke Jaguar, a guy called Stuart Crutchfield. Um, you know, you always, when you're in music, have those friends that are so proud of being just obscenely far down the spectrum of music that you know, yeah. like they listen to stuff that is basically like I got this album, it's an accidental recording of a, a bus driver rustling <laughs> some crisps yeah. uh, as he's dying of a stroke <laughs> and you're like, <laughs> he's like have you heard it? Oh, it's fucking brilliant man but it's a little bit mainstream for me <laughs> it's like those are those guys in there, love them but yeah I can't, I can't even begin to compete in that shop yeah, it's a whole other world I suppose what Boris have always had, like they play with that world and they play with sound and like I think production on this record, but all also I mean just their use of dynamics and noise and feedback and everything. So they they're very at one with that noise world, but then they also just love melody and riffs and straightforward punk as ah, well. Which it's is fucking crazy. Like I mean, Bor- Boris are one of the, I mean, Boris are two heavy rock 
slash metal slash whatever what like Radiohead are to indie in terms of the sheer the sheer um, diversity diversity of their, their catalogue. So yeah. like yeah, because I, I, I was kind of like trying to kind of group their albums together and Amplifier Worship, which is kind of one of their sort of older ones. There's an album called Flood. Those those kind of lean more on the kind of like drone and doom, like the sort of stuff that comes out of Sun and Canny and bands like that. Then they had this kind of they have quite a lot of them. Even even some of the more doomy albums have moments of a bit like Pink and the Heavy Rocks albums and Smile. They're kind of like those big riff stonery albums that mm-hmm. if you imagine like some like Motorhead or the MC5 or the Stooges, but then with a kind of more Melvin's Caius production like yeah. more dense and thunderous than than the older records yeah. and you've got stuff that is almost bizarrely like like attention please and an album called new album which weirdly features three tracks off Attention Please, two tracks off another album, a track off another album. Like, they don't give a shit. They just, like, throw stuff around from album to album. And those are, like, at points, like, a kind of, like, disco stoner and, like, synthy metal. Loads of shoegaze. And yeah, I was going to say, there's, the, like, some sort of dreamy pop Yeah, I mean, there's there a, there a tremendous track on on, that's on both of those albums called Hope that uh, I think the new album version is a better mix of Hope, but it, it almost sounds like Blonde Redhead. And when you consider that this band also do like twenty-five minute drone epics, like that that rival anything by by Sun, mm. uh, it's it's pretty astonishing, and it is really daunting. So it still doesn't let Mark away with the fact that he nominated them and <laughs> didn't take the damn time to learn that. No, I'm not They're also consistently on tour, I uh, and I think going on like going to see them is as much of a roll of the dice as it is picking up a record, because. Uh, I mean, I've only seen them once. I saw them this year, actually. They were co-headlining with Amon Ra. And so they kind of fitted in with that and did a sort of slow, post-metal-y, heavy-as-fuck set. But then, you know, they're quite as likely to go to go do a tour that's just full-on scuzz, yeah, I mean, bangers. They, like, they did an EP with Ian Asbury from The Cult. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, honestly, like, uh, Japanese bands don't give a shit, man. They, they just do what the fuck they want most of the time. I was like, kind of thinking about this a wee bit, right? Because I will admit, before I had to take the time to really discern between the Boris stuff, because there's so much of it, and you do hear it in passing, and you're a little bit like, okay, I can't remember where that one came from, can't remember that one. There's slightly better known ones you kind of click with, but like, it, it's not all of it is amazing by any means. In fact, a lot of it is very, very average. Um, but I say a lot of it, because there's so much of it. Like some of it is tremendous, some of it is fine. Yeah, even if you say seventy five percent of their albums are not that great, that still means they've got six or seven great records. Yeah. Know? So it's Yeah, I mean they, they and they, they do have like a number of really good records. It's just 
there's no way you're maintaining that standard all the way through. The mean average of the Boris sound is probably a bit more akin to heavy, dirty, stonery rock, but the sheer diversity that surrounds it has become almost as much of a a calling card and almost as much of a reason mm-hmm. that they're seen as being inspirational as anything else, because they're a band that completely shunned any sense of pigeonholing, any sense of an obligation to a particular sound. Well, they don't. They don't have the personality of the Fall, but I feel like the Fall's back catalogue is quite similar in terms of its a nice analogy, diversity yeah. and it's just f- fucking ridiculous broad scope. You know, you'll find pretty much any type of sound. Yeah. No, no, I, th- I think that's that's fair, and there is a similar sense of don't give a fuck as well. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the the way they handle the the, the various. Uh, track listings and the, the the cross pollination of different albums with the same tunes. There's there's like a kind of real there's there's just a really interestingly detached and blasey attitude. But what's them. very different from the fall is the fact that they're very they don't have a you know a loud spoken sort of personality out to you know the press or to to yeah, fans or whatever. They're they're very they're quite an introverted band. That's true, but I think like given that. They're not particularly fluent in English. I think it's Atsuo, the drummer, mm-hmm. um, is the only one with like real until recently at least sort of particularly conversational English, and that's who used to have to do a lot of the interviews when they were doing the Deer album, the most recent one, for the twenty fifth anniversary. The other two members insisted on being a bit uh, like Takeshi and Wata uh, insisted on being a bit more involved. And the publicity, and I think that was a, that was actually apparently because they'd started to question the longevity of the band, and they said that you know that might be their last album, and they didn't know really what else they were going to do, and family, and life had started to affect uh, the band's plans and the band's touring. So their personality was there's a bit of mystique around it because of that, because they were just basically unable to really engage with much of uh, the English speaking world. That said, like in Japan, they were very under the radar. Mm-hmm. Certainly for a long time um, They only really came to prominence in Japan Once Southern Lord started reissuing stuff And it started to really take In the States And the and the, the enthusiasm for them bled backwards Across the Pacific if you will uh, it's, it's quite an interesting thing they're, they're the Japanese bush You could say <laughs> <laughs> Surely thank us for that A Japanese bush Is that not a bonsai tree? I think it's a an entire uh, online video series that <laughs> <laughs> just happens to be pixelated an so. extremely high subscription rate but um, yeah they sorry carry on <coughs> no you were about to say one of your few words Mark if Mark's going to speak just it's interesting you mentioned Southern Lord because that's a good point to go into the Foo Fighters Nexus are we going to do the Foo Fighters Nexus now because yeah. I'm, I'm looking forward to the Foo Fighters okay Nexus. let's yeah. do it hang on I actually prepared some music for this one and I think it suits You're probably right. 
that worked. Yeah, well done. <laughs> Thanks. Very happy with that. It's getting a little bit more fun, although I'm running out of ideas. When you go, Chris. Oh, am I going first? Yeah. Don't make me go first. It's too good, my one. You have to go first. Mark, you, you go first. Yours is always crap. <laughs> <laughs> Mine's always right, you mean. Yeah, his is always quick and to the point. Yeah. Well, this, they would release records in Southern Lord and Probot was released on Southern Lord as well. So there you go. I fucking hate your Foo Fighters. <laughs> <laughs> hey, no, next I. No, what he's showing is how quickly it can be done. Which is like which was the point in the beginning. Like yeah. sex. Well, yeah, exactly. Exactly. You don't want to hang about. Get that shit over with. Oh, so Stephen is it Stephen O'Malley or Stephen Malley? Stephen O'Malley, right, from Sun. Yeah, well he did the he did artwork for Probot as well. Okay. David, have you got an Nexus? Uh no, I don't. Alright, cool. Well mine's mine's pretty handy, I think. And it's it's not even involving the fact that uh, Boris took their name from Melvin's. Um yeah. and they've collaborated I, with Melvin's as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, a track from the nineteen ninety one album Bullhead. A very cool track. Yeah, it's nothing to do with that. <laughs> uh, but Melvin's would have been an obvious link to Nirvana, would have been an obvious link to Dave Grohl. Mm-hmm. Um, my favourite Nexus, Dave, you could have had that one, is even better. So Boris were on the official soundtrack to a film called The Limits of Control by Jim Jarmusch. And uh, Jim also acted alongside a certain lady called Courtney Love in a film called Straight to Hell, directed by Alex Cox. Wow. Yeah, he also did Sid and Nancy. Weirdly enough, Straight to Hell uh, featured cameos from Joe Strummer, uh, Dennis Hopper, Elvis Costello, Shane McGowan, Ed Tudor Paul of Crystal May's Ten Foot Fall fame. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so the Courtney Love, as we've established in the past, then links back to Dave Grohl pretty, pretty readily. You could have went to uh, with Alex Cox. You could have went to Repo Man, Hardcore Punk, and Black Flag were in it. Or was it Main Threat? One of those two bands, Hardcore bands, were in it. Which Black, then Black Flag yeah. were uh, on the official soundtrack to Repo Man. Yeah, they were in the film as well. I think Henry Rollins in the film. Which could have got you back to Dave Grohl via Scream Sense. So, yeah. Well, do you know what? Actually, you can go from uh, Boris to Mertzbo and then you can go to the Incapacitants who uh, recorded with Mertzbo uh, and the Incapacitants recorded with uh, Vivian Slaughter of uh, Gallhammer, black metal Japanese band, who were uh, also happened to be on Peaceville. Uh, Peaceville were, of course, course the record label and home of uh, Cradle of Filth <laughs> <laughs> and Conrad uh, I am also known as Kronos from Venom who invented black metal. I see where you're going. He was also on, uh, he appeared spoken word on Cradle of Filth from Dusk and Her Embrace Oh wow! Uh, and also appeared on uh, Probot. Probot with Dave Grohl You do know that the whole Kevin Bacon thing is maybe six degrees. Yeah, that's why mine is always right <laughs> But uh, David, it feels like you did have that planned, and in fact, just whipped it out. Well, you know that's that's the the class of man you're dealing with here. It, it was unwieldy, <laughs> impressive, but barely functional, <laughs> like many other aspects. Like many of other it. things that I whip out. <laughs> so, uh, exit music then. Yes. Someone did in the best, the best, the best. 
<clears throat> Any thoughts on that? Uh, I mean, do you want me to continue down? <laughs> yeah, this, no, I enjoyed that. Do you want me to continue down that direction with the next one, or would you like me to go completely? I would like you to uh, take a completely different direction. I would like uh, I like black metal versions of Foo Fighter songs, if possible. <laughs> okay, <laughs> surely they exist. Yeah, I can I can probably make them exist, <laughs> but you're. I mean, I'm gonna to have to start charging by. Well, anyway. we could we could actually ask uh, my friend Daniel, who's in Cradle of Filth. Mm-hmm. He could maybe record for us. Is your friend Daniel in Cradle of Filth? Yeah, but it's not Danny. Clang! Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Don't know if I can edit that out, David. <laughs> he's uh, no, but I think it's hilarious. It's um, he's from Orkney, and uh, he used to play in bands in Glasgow, and he just lives in Glasgow. Uh, and he went down to record. With his band in a studio playing guitar. Oh no, yeah, playing guitar. And then the studio phoned him up about a month later and he was like, Oh, can you play bass? And he was like, uh, Kind of. Mm-hmm. He was like, Could you come play bass for a session for us for this band? And then that band turned out to be Cradle of Filth. And then they asked him to join. And he's been in Cradle of Filth for the last six years and recorded three albums with him. Just so albums. Just a classic story of Orkney to Cradle of Filth. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, while, but while we're talking about extreme bands, during the research and reading some interviews for this, uh, I think I, w- I was letting you guys hear it earlier on. I came across this Japanese band called Endon. Mm-hmm. Oh, they're good. Yeah, they're badass. Fast. Um, catastrophic noise metal was the the category that I believe they belong to. Yeah, that's one of my favourite genres. <laughs> it really was brilliant. I've only just discovered um, it. They were they were recorded by Atsuo of Boris and are big fans of Boris, obviously. And Boris are bound to be inspirational to any band in that scene in Japan. But Endon have really taken it to new extremes. It's fucking furious music, but it's brilliant. Pleasantly surprised. Sorry to interrupt your podcast listening. Uh, give us some money because we need to buy stuff. We're still borrowing shit. And I know we keep, it's like a broken record. I keep saying it every single week. Oh, you'll be like, oh, the guys are still borrowing stuff. I know it's really fucking annoying, man. Like, we don't like borrowing stuff. So just give us some money. We can buy some stuff. That's what we want to do. That would be ideal. It would be great. <laughs> Charisma's out the window in this one. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to be sincere, man. How do they give money? Yeah, um, you can definitely go to unsungpod.net for slash donate. That's where you can give money. But I presume if you listen to podcasts before, you know that already, Christopher. <laughs> you presume a lot. <laughs> I know exactly how many fans we have. It's definitely a few. So, as regards Boris, the band that Mark's so reluctant to talk about. <laughs> interesting fact, Wata, the guitarist, she is from Hiroshima. Right, that's mm-hmm. good yeah. to know. I, th- I think it's 
really key to point out with Boris that so much of what makes Boris interesting and differentiates them from other stoner and metal and stoner metal and groove metal and noise and drone, so much of this thing that makes them really stand out from the pack is their fucking insane tones that they use. That's absolutely it. Like, they've got an album called Amplifier Worship. Yeah. And like, uh, you can hear they are big fans of... Turning the fucking gain up. Yeah, I was going to say they sound like they've got all the fuzz pedals, but they don't. They just use Sun Model Ts and Orange amplifiers for fucking days. Have you seen this setup? We've have you seen it? uh, Yes, uh, we (laughs) have. We have never really, in the course of this podcast, properly delved into the tech that bands actually use to get the sound. The 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 tones that Boris uses are fucking very full on and a lot of it comes from the recording stage I mean we'll talk about that later on um, they, they run amps really 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 hot so that a lot can, of them you can hear the stuff overloading mm-hmm. but in terms of the, the original tones that they're using uh, there's some really interesting bits and bobs and there's some also remarkably mundane bits and bobs in amongst the setups that were really surprising mm-hmm. um, so Takeshi who I think ostensibly does the bass uh, uses a double necked first act, which is the same company that Kurt yeah. Ballou. So it's like half. It's like one 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 high is the bass and one's the guitar, basically. So he can just jump yeah, between them yeah. when he's playing. Yeah. So first mm-hmm. act is the company that I first heard about through Kurt Ballou because he was a big fan of them. He ended up with a nine string first act. <laughs> yeah, he's got three, and then like half of it's a twelve string. Yeah. yeah. Um, and Takeshi tunes three full steps down, as does Wata. Uses apparently uh, Sun Model T for the mid seventies. A big fan. Not of just one. <laughs> no, yeah, several. <laughs> Big fan of Marshall AB cabs for the sixties. I really, I really like this part of it. For the bass, it was an Ampeg eight ten E eight by ten cabinet and uh, a bass terror thousand watt, which is exactly what I use. A thousand watt bass terror is, I mean, junky yeah. damp. That's what I use. Really good, yeah, it's brilliant. Great amp, man. Best yeah. thing about thousand watt bass terror for anybody listening, and I'm not in any way sponsored by Orange, <laughs> but the best thing about it. Is it's about the size of a handbag yeah. and weighs about the same as Mark's face. Probably, and, yeah. <laughs> and if you've ever been a bassist, especially, and had to carry about a, a huge head. valve head, oh. let alone a huge valve head in a tra- in a flight case, oh my god, it is horrendous! Like horrendous. I mean, even if they are of a certain weight, because of the shape of them and the way you have to carry the handles, the weight just feels like it doubles. It's just absolutely brutal and the best thing that was ever invented is probably a bass there a thousand watt because it's the loudest thing you'll ever hear and you can carry it over your shoulder or in one hand whilst eating a cheese and onion pasty (laughs) (laughs) it is fucking brilliant so yeah that's what they use and I don't blame them some pedals there were some Earthquaker pedals a Bit Commander and an Afterneath which I've never used Afterneath is such a good pedal it's only really got one trick I mean, what it does is kind of it's a really nice reverb with a almost like a bit of delay that makes it sound like it's in a, a really nice crystalline cave almost. It's really lovely, but the knobs don't really do anything. <laughs> <laughs> There's some cool videos of it. Um, uh, a holy I've grail. I've used one a lot. Yeah, the, so. old, the old industry standard holy, Got one of them, holy yeah. grail. Um, and some dwarfed craft pedals. Wata uses an eighty-six Les Paul custom. Uh, again, like I said, three steps down. A Matamp GT one twenty. And fucking loads of orange cabs. Right, I'm gonna I'm gonna put my cards on the table here. Matt amps way overrated. I I borrowed uh, a Matt amp for a while and it's I really didn't enjoy it. No, I was uh, like, oh fuck yes, I'm gonna make some absolute sludge. And it was the treble was wonky and I just yeah couldn't deal with it. Just for sheer power as well, like all the Matt amps I've ever used, uh, they seem like they've really struggled. And yeah. the, at a certain volume, they sound 
amazing mm -hmm. no denying that the tones are amazing so we're recording with it that's great but in terms of like just getting sheer volume and strength like i really struggled with them i don't know i've only ever used one it was a green um and it is pure like it is clean as hell like it is like sparklingly clean even if it, even the dirty tones are like super clear but i'm the same like i don't really understand why you would want to use one like you could just use a pedal and an analog amp i know a lot of store brands that use them i'm just like well i think they're kind i of, can get a better sound from i think they're kind of fetishized tech, you know? i think yeah. yeah i think i i remember for a while me and my old flatmate we were just totally into post metal and stuff and like it was this ideal of having that mat amp that was what you aspired to and then i think he eventually got one and like sold it within six yeah. months. I, cause I know people like that actually went down and got them custom made in yeah. the factory and stuff. And then it's just like you got them back and you're like, why did you bother, man? Mm. Yeah. You, you, like there's some really, really awesome amps out there that are just, you can buy off the shelf that sound just as good as this. I think it's very much a psychological thing. The 200 watt cabs are amazing. Okay. The, the bass response is just out of this world. It's like, well, there you go. Yeah, you know, so. We should name this section so uh, people can fast forward <laughs> yeah, in the future. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so, and the Wata also uses, which I thought was great, uh, other than it's uses like an Elk Big Muff, which is a Japanese Big Muff clone, which is like fat pH. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a Roland Space Echo. She's uses a Boss DS1, which is like a classic. Your, your starter <laughs> level. Uh, do you want a guitar, son? What kind of music do you want to here's play? Here's a pedal. Yeah, here's a pedal. Here's it's the pedal. Eh? Class, Boss DS1, just sitting in there amongst all this cool shit. Because she's got a thing called a Wata Fuzz, which is like a custom-made thing for her, based on like a Fox Fuzz. And that's all like low-end and really gravelly and stuff. But yeah, there you go. Can I get away from the DS1? Yeah. I fucking hate those things. They're <laughs> and they're orange. They're really shitty. Fucking orange. Just like King William. Mm -hmm. I don't really... Personally, I'm not a fan of orange amps on the whole, as... You know, I'll never have anything better than the bass terror because my guitar from a guitar point of view, the the the, the bass terror. I've used a five hundred watt when I used to play bass in a band, and it was it was amazing, absolutely amazing. But I've never really been blown away by the guitar amps personally. So, listeners, <laughs> let us know how you felt about this <laughs> about that tech segue. We can do more of that. If but you I want. mean, overall, like what they do achieve is like an atmosphere, and like the production, it's somehow muddy and sludgy. And it's kind of horrific, but it's like <laughs> amazing. It's also really clear as well. Like yeah, there's a lot it. of definition it's, in it the is, sound. It really is. It's um, the obscene volume they play at is yeah, must play a huge part in that. You know. And also, like, there's some production work that happens on the drums, for instance, like on uh, on maybe some of the slower stuff. They're definitely not scared to experiment when it comes to the mixing. And I think even the fact that, for example, with the Smile album, they got different people to mix it. So I think, like, the American version was mixed by a member of the band and then the Japanese version was mixed by a producer. I think that sort of level of experimentation with how your album sounds after you've recorded it is really interesting. It shows how much you can do with it in post
I, for me, I have to have a caveat here. I don't think it always works for them. So especially with Pink, I think Pink's a really good example of this. They, they try a lot of techniques in the studio that fly in the face, maybe a, of increasing convention, because maximalism seems to be like a thing in stoner rock and metal now. It's really about saturation and square waves and really like full volume power. Even even like going back a bit, like bands like Unsane and Taint doing noise rock, they were very much about filling the frequencies and making it like concrete, swinging on a rope and hitting you in the face. Boris took a different tack, and like you said, they 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 go for quite dirgy sounds, quite dark. There is there is a bit of clarity to them, but I do think a lot of the power goes from them. Some of the mids seem to like struggle a wee bit, hmm. um, and I think sometimes the drum production is kind of weird. It can vary from track to track. Yeah, it definitely does on, on Pink. It definitely yeah. does anyway. So yeah. like, they take a different approach to the drums, one track after the other, and I think some of those you're like. God damn it! That drum sound would have worked better in that song, and vice versa. And I think that's a wee bit frustrating. They also have like a really innovative, but I think sometimes counterproductive approach to the mix. And you're playing yeah. the kind of music that is wall of noise in a lot of cases. Yeah, I think sometimes it's just a little bit frustrating. I actually was listening to Pink, which I totally get all those criticisms, but I think what happened with Pink is that it all kind of worked out. And that's why it's one of the standouts. Yeah, know? yeah. But funnily enough, it was quite difficult difficult to listen to this record in the car Can just imagine. because of that mix. Because well, if you it, imagine like, you're at one side, you're getting like loads of guitar. Yeah, but then... but also just the bass response was just like overpowering actually. And like you know when they get down and are doing the fucking sort of rock and roll riffs, mm-hmm. that kind of gets lost. It's muddy, I think. It's, yeah, it's when it's on a sort of it's quite boomy, bigger boomier system. Yeah. Whereas in you know tight headphones, it sounds really good. I see. I think as well because they they push things so hot. You know they run the signals mm-hmm. so high that you can hear like the preamps really struggling with it and it sounds cool like if you're if you're not somebody that does engineering and music and stuff and you don't really know the the terminology you're just listening to that going fuck this is intense like this sounds like my headphones are going to fucking break and that is a really interesting effect and it contri- it contributes to the sense of edginess and to the sense of abandon that the band have in many aspects of their project you know whether it's track listings album names but i do also think that you know, as you're saying, so I noticed in some of them, there's a bit where the guitar, the lead guitar will be panned 30% right. So it's quite present. Then there'll be a, a second take of guitar that's panned like 60% left, basically down the middle. And it's just, it starts to sound like a little bit odd mm. when you're in the middle of that. And if you're in a room where the two speakers are across the room from you, it, it all kind of merges and you're fine. And it's, it's, it's pretty solid. But that's not how a lot of people listen to music now. And I don't know, like, even bands like Melvin's, who used to fuck about with stuff like that, have kind of moved away from that. And from like the, the point, Certainly, of albums like Electro Retard and uh, A Senile Animal and stuff like that. Part of the reason those albums are so good now is because they've taken advantage of certain aspects of production that really make the most of the riffs. The riffs are full on, they're clear, they're punchy, everything's really. And I, I know I'm being a bit of a. I'm maybe not appraising Boris on their merits because this is what they do. And if you like it, then you'll like it and you'll love that innovation. But. It do, I do kind of wish that I could hear this album remixed properly, for want of a better word, remixed in a way that was just strong and just, you know, a bit... Uh, that It just frustrates me a wee bit. I do like it, and it's got some really, really good moments, but 
just pisses me off sometimes when you're like, this song's killer, but why the fuck does it have to sound like that at that bit? Um, I mean, some of the tracks in uh, in particular, six three times. I think it was track six in the album. They've just really gone all out on like, let's fuck about with the drum sound, and the yeah. drums sound mental. I think I don't know if they've just used all one overhead or something like that. Like, the whole it, thing sounds like it's been passed through a fuzz pedal. The whole mix on that song. <laughs> it's really fucking strange. Um, and I, there is a part of me, it's just like, man, and I don't think it's the strongest tune either, to be honest, on the album, but I think it suffers even more so from that approach, which was innovative, but yeah, I'm not I'm not sure that it always works in their favour. It feels like a bit of a kickback sometimes, because this is clearly the, it's just, you know, it's been said this is their most accessible record, right? This is when a lot of people I got into I definitely, definitely don't agree with that. I mean, new album is fucking so accessible. If you think about everything that came before it, Reviews at the time I was saying it was way more accessible than so, well, ever done. Yeah, absolutely. Sorry, mm-hmm. this is their tenth of up up to twenty four, but probably you know nineteen twenty albums by mm-hmm. most people's reckoning. Yeah, okay, it's probably the most accessible at that point. We're still fucking about with stuff, which is obviously there's clearly a lot of garage rock feel on this, which is like quite different from the things that were doing before. So maybe it's their kind of way of going. Well, we're still kind of still kind well, of a bit weird. Still I keep it weird. Remember, I read a review about it where it said it redefined their sound, but thinking about how sort of madly all over play all over the place this is in terms of you know the songwriting and i mean if we're going to talk about the album now you know like you start off with a big beautiful post-rock piece and then you've got like three scuzzy garage rock tracks and then you've got this absolute oh yeah sorry oh fuck aye right okay are, no are we talking about this yeah, album? yeah i'm no. talking about this record yeah what's the post-rock piece farewell farewell at the beginning is it's my body Valentine. Have I got the fucking songs out of sequence? Possibly. Maybe. What's the sequence that you've got? Can you tell Farewell, me? Farewell. Pink. Pink. Woman on the, on the screen, screen. Blackout. Electric. Pseudobred. Afterburner. You're fi- you're missing nothing special. Six three times. My machine just abandoned myself. Ma- nothing special was. I know what it is. After women you know on the what, screen. You know what it is. That's really interesting. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Can you look up? Is it, have, have you got a different? Got I know they do have different, different versions. Uh, There's only one uh, version of Spotify's deluxe version, and it's got like more tracks afterwards as well. Which so are, the tr- the original yeah. track listing, you've maybe got the ah, <coughs> uh, you've got the vinyl version. Start with pink. Starts with pink, then it goes women on the screen. Right, we need to talk about this. <laughs> so this is really interesting because well, yeah, let's leave this in actually this whole yeah. bit because. So I've got the right. So there's three different versions. Of this. this is fucking boring. Fucking <laughs> bunch of dicks. So there's a CD version that's 47 minutes. There's a Southern Lord reissue that's 55 minutes, and there's a vinyl version that's 72 fucking minutes. Yeah. Um, and there's also there's like a, a extended, you know, Boris uh, deluxe version, which I think includes extra tracks and bits off the vinyl oh you absolutely can I, can I just then they've say also something? got extended versions of the tracks on the vinyl version can I well. just can I just ask something and we've only just discovered this right now David where did you listen to the record did you listen to Spotify or did I you listened to Spotify but I did I have... didn't notice the mixing things that you were talking about when I was listening to it earlier on and when I listened to it in the past well, on Spotify well, maybe you're listening I didn't the... notice that mixing stuff at all that could well be on the vinyl version like honestly it sounds it sounds like completely it sounds completely like balanced well, um, I can assure you, the version I got, I, I have, I seem to be the only person that actually gets records, <laughs> but I've I've got the vinyl version and uh, yeah, it starts with Pink. Yeah. And well, Farewell, no. Farewell is track nine. 
Ah, uh, yeah. No, so on the version I've got, it starts with Farewell. All right, we'll and hop I think about that's on Farewell's the, probably the best tune on it. Yeah, yeah. Farewell's amazing. Yeah, and uh, it sounds but it's re- like... It is really... It's like post-metal, man. It's like... It sounds like, like This Will Destroy You or Caspian or Mogwai or something like that. Yeah. See, I actually well, wrote a sound like My Body Valentine. But really heavy. Yeah, <laughs> it's got that psychedelic like, lead dude. guitar that's bit that's heard. just like quite Seeger Rossi mm. even. A lot of reviews picked out as best track, but bearing in mind a lot of the reviews, I was reading reviews, but that were reviewing the same. It, uh, edition of the record is me okay and they were so like they were like for me it was track 10 mm. and they were like track 10 is a standout track so maybe the band took that into account during the reissue i don't know that that song is almost anthemic it's certainly one of the ones where they actually lean in to the epic a bit the version i've got starts with pink the, the title track which is a, a amazing song Pink is this super heavily compressed riff, but I don't think Pink really gets going until the second riff, the second layer of guitar comes in, because it sounds dead muddy and dead dead squashed, and then this guitar comes in and kind of gives it this extra bit of head riff. Um, it's also got a really fucking cool drum sound in Pink, yeah. actually. The, the, that's one of the ones where I'm like, I really love what you did with the drums. And what's like, interesting as well, it, uh, um, and I noticed it on Pink, and then you kind of notice it throughout. Some of the vocal melodies have sound quite British. Yeah, they sound, that's one thing. I, that's like, really interesting you said that, because one of the things I've wrote is like, it's just like, it's just like if Les Zeppelin were a mental metal band, because that's what it that's what it reminds me of yeah. like vocally, and a lot of the guitar lines sound like Les Zeppelin to me. Which is weird. And then, but there's also there was like something about his vocal lines in Pink that reminded me of your code name is Milo, which is like totally <laughs> weird. But it's like that very British alternative rock. Yeah, I think line for I think some they reason. do, but it's a bit naive. I think some some of the the tracks where they they go into kind of hooks, almost like vocal like vocal hooks. I think they're a wee bit. I don't know. They're a wee bit um, naff. You think? I don't know. I, just, I don't know. I, I really like it. You know, I like, I, the, I, I like their element of melody. Can I, can I rub that in a bigger context? Though? I think that's actually part of the appeal of some Japanese bands. There's a bit of a fetishization of Japanese bands in general. There's always, like, not always, sorry, but there's often a slight naivety that seems to go along with Japanese acts, whether it's like Boningen, whether it's stuff like this, whether it's uh, stuff like Light. They're they're very very capable, very fucking good bands. Acid Mother's Temple is another one as well. Mm-hmm. Like they're doing something very very well, but there's almost like a kind of level of childishness that if it if it was a an American band doing it, you'd be like they don't get away with that. Yeah. Um. And I think part of that comes from doing it in your second language. Part of that comes from like a kind of cultural differential. But there is some there is a slight. Almost sometimes an infantilization, but certainly a fetishization of Japanese bands, and I think as a result, some of the Japanese bands that do well on paper aren't as good as some other bands from other countries. I think Japanese 
groups benefit from a, a little bit of, of that at times. I don't think Boris necessarily are that, but in some of the points in this album, it seems like that little bit of naivety shines through, and I think the vocals are a big part of that. Even the production of the vocals, like, it's quite dry. It's quite kind of like, like, you know, your band's demo, like, da 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 That's really interesting because in the mix, on the deluxe edition, the vocals are really buried. Oh no, they're quite. They are yeah. quite. They are quite buried, but they're mm-hmm. buried and they're they're kind of raw and, and dry. And yeah, there's not there's no effect on it. Really. Yeah, it's, yeah. Um, so I mean, in terms of like the other tracks, so I we're all we're all at a different sequence here yeah. as well. Women in the screen was like that kind of really hyper saturated rock and roll. Yeah, that riff is a belt. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's good. Just punky as fuck. I think that's another one though that really lifts. Um, I think it's one minute twenty or thereabouts where there's a second layer of guitar yeah. comes mm-hmm. in, and I think that really opens that track up. Nothing special. I think it's fucking great. Like the production is really furious, but really scooped. Like it's got that thing where there's like virtually no middle in it at points, like or yeah. at least kind of deep middle. So much fuzz, man, and it just yeah, sounds like your tiles are going to explode. It sounds like grindcore at yeah. points. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's 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 fucking intense. But that's that's the one where the panning was a bit of an issue for me, though. I like I, f- I found the panning quite off off putting in the headphone version, like uh, listening. Um, where does blackout in your version? It's next. Think? It's yeah, it's track next. five. Yeah. So it goes yeah, yeah. So blackout was four for me, and that's the one that's yeah. the biggest nod to the the, the early doom stuff. Big story. Yeah, and thing. to me, that's my key, Boris. Is like, that that's your like one? that that's track? Your guy. I'm like that's what I want when I want to listen to Boris. I mean, I love the fast stuff and like they're as good as anyone. But when I'm wanting Boris, I want that fucking see that's that bass tone heavy. is unbelievable in that yeah. song. There's oh, that is the thing. I actually I have to be honest. I don't know. I don't think this is my favorite Boris album. Mm-hmm. In fact, this isn't my favorite Boris album. I much prefer them as a hefty, doomy, much more atmospheric and protracted. Grip, that's think. one of the reasons why I didn't really want to listen to more of their stuff because I don't like that at all. That makes absolutely no sense. <laughs> I, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't honestly. I How don't, did you know it sounded like that? Because I've re- I read, a, I, I've read about the band, I've read a lot of reviews, and I always heard, I always heard before I'd heard Pink that they were a stoner band, like a Doom band. I was like, I'm not really into that kind of shit. Nah, but I mean, like, Smiles. And somebody's like listening to Pink, just a song Pink. I was like, okay, I'm in, I'm in, I'm all in, I'm into that album. Nah, but Smiles not yeah. a not a Doom album. Yeah, I came after so. Got, but they've got. Mo- but what I like about it is uh, what I like about this record is that it's not one thing. I think Blackout and Farewell are like glorious post-metal things but then you've got Afterburner which is like Black Sabbath gone post-punk I and fucking then... hate that song can I, I like can it I ju- can I just say that like I, I remember when this album came out and that was the last that was the first time I'd heard them and that was the only time the only thing I listened to them like I hadn't nothing after that I've heard at all okay so I, when this album was brand new it was the first time I heard it <laughs> just, just to let you know you're still not getting away with it um, no, I'm not asking to get away with it I'm I, just saying Afterburner really doesn't work for me at all man it's, it's got that Caius thing in it there's like it's got the clapping percussion in it which I think is a wee bit more reminiscent even of Desert Sessions but I just think oh Jesus it's just really languid it's really kind of like low energy 
bumbles along in that kind of like really easy sluggish drunky yeah. sort of stoner mm-hmm. rock way and I, I honestly couldn't give a fuck about that song I think it's really uninspired It's definitely the low light of the album for me. I can't, I can't get it behind it whatsoever. It's probably thought, one I'd take off as well. I thought Pseudo Bread, which I'm assuming is like a play on Soda Bread, right? I think uh, so. That, yeah. came, that comes before Afterburner on, on that. On, uh, all right, so that's eight on my one. So and we got that, Blackout, Electric, Pseudo Bread, Afterburner. Okay, well I'm Afterburner then Pseudo Bread, and that starts like it's going to be a two minute track. Yeah, and ends up becoming a fucking epic. That's yeah, insane. That is actually insane. That's that's I really like that song. That's, yeah. It's really that's full on. Probably my favorite um, song after Pink but on the record. The only thing is, it does, as is probably consistent with a lot of their other catalogue, end with six minutes of fucking distorted noise and just absolute drone, which is no, it doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> it does not. It doesn't matter. <laughs> Um, it's four and a half minutes long in the deluxe it's version. Ten and a bit minutes long, <laughs> and it ends with literally six full minutes of distorted noise. That's that's a crackling, grinding, <laughs> low frequency white noise. It is fucking mental. <laughs> so there you go, <laughs> Boris, folks, Boris. Um, and they, they probably did all this just to fuck over people that were doing these yeah, kind of like reviews. Probably, yeah. um, my medicine. That's all right. It's a bit like desert sessions as my well. Machine. Sorry, my machine. Yeah, that's my handwriting. My handwriting. It's um, <laughs> like a bit like Desert Sessions. I kind of didn't understand why that wasn't the last track because it. Well, fe- my machine is two minutes long on uh, on the CD. Well, and it's, 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 my machine is about 12 minutes, 12 minutes long. Yeah, that's exactly it. <laughs> It's interesting because my machine on a deluxe version is almost like it's teeing up the last song. Yeah, like it's, it's like a little yeah, quiet piano yeah. thing, and then uh, just abandon myself comes in. I know, and on on this it works really well. And yeah. this it, it it builds up a bit and then fades out over about eight minutes. It's very protracted. Oh, so it's just yeah. like two minutes, and then that is that is, that is like a, a massive like relaxing second, and then see what I mean. You well, know. Nobody else would do this. Mm-hmm. Like, can you think of another band that has done this with their fucking albums yeah, and just like juggled them about and chucked them out here, chucked them out there? It's fucking Jesus. Just uh, abandoned myself as eighteen and a half minutes long. Yeah, yeah, like, right, right, okay, long. yeah. yeah that's, that that's whole thing. The whole thing is on there. <laughs> And well, I love that song. there's actually an extra two good. seconds on the CD version rather than the vinyl, so clawed that back. 
Oh my god! <laughs> um, See the way yeah. the way it winds down, man. That song that song is just like they throw everything and the kitchen sink into it. Um, you know, they made a really interesting comment. Like, obviously, like Boris have done a lot of different styles, right? And it's a lot to try and cover a band. I mean, we did Aphex Twin previously, um, and it's a lot to try and cover. Which was it. voted in. It was. It was. Congrats. Congrats. Um, but to try and cover something that's so diverse in a in a podcast is hard. Um, but for me, I prefer. They're more psychedelic stuff. I prefer their more doomy stuff. I, th- I think the stuff that's much more out there is far more interesting than their, albeit the tones are awesome, but their garage rock, stoner rock stuff, it doesn't really do it for me. I think like Fu Manchu, maybe even Nebula are better at that. I think it's more interesting. In fact, I saw the band Earthless last night, and again, that kind of, if you're just wanting riffage, like tone-wise, I, I kind of prefer them. Um, I don't think that's their strongest suit, and it's a big part of this album. So even though some of this album sounds fucking really impressive, once I take my like engineer's hat off and go, go, oh my God, that sounds fucking cool. That's such a cool amp. I'm like, do I want to fucking listen to that tune? Not really. I couldn't really give a shit about a lot of the actual tunes in this. Whereas the doomier stuff is less reliant on the tunes and more reliant on the atmosphere. And I think this album's at its best when it's reliant on atmosphere. That's why it's not my favourite because I don't think there's enough of that. I think um, going through some of the other stuff, the, the album Vein, which is the grindcore, noisecore one, depending on what mix you've got. I've got the grindcore one and it's fucking brilliant. Like, it's really ferocious. Like... really teethy really trebly and um i think uh feedbacker the 2003 record which is just like or it's called boris at last feedbacker which is just a full-on drone noise record kind of prefer that because it's more of a an idiosyncratic thing it's got a really strong sense of identity um and they're very good at that amplifier worship obviously i think amplifier worship actually is the one that's most akin to bands like cosmic dead in glasgow so that, that kind of psych scene but that kind of heavy psych Yeah. <laughs> that 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 kind of thing also kind of works for me a wee bit better. Um, not a huge fan of Smile again because I think I class that in with a bit more of the garage rock thing. It's kind of reminds me a bit of Karma to Burn. Um, albeit I think Karma to Burn probably have some slightly better riffs. So I, I I can't really decide whether or not like this is good. I'm kind of struggling with it a little bit. I, th- I mean I th- obviously sorry. I think it is good, but I just I would probably have gone for something else if I'm being perfectly honest. And also, can I just add, I saw a really interesting thing in an interview with them where they were just trying to describe why psychedelia and this sort of experimental, trippy vibe has caught on in such a way in in Japanese rock music. And they kind of made an, well, at least as far as urban uh, areas are concerned, and when you consider that Tokyo is like 30 million people, that's quite a lot. Um, they, uh, They were talking about like the ambient noise of Tokyo. I was in Tokyo this year. And there is something really, really distinct about the background of being in that that city and presumably other Japanese cities of a similar ilk, 
where it, it's just games arcades. They they love like little voices talking at speakers here and there as you're going into bars and stuff like that. They've got people playing music in the street. You've obviously got a lot of people chittering, chattering, and you've got <laughs> just so much ambient but technological racket. You know, in a conventional European city, there's a lot of ambient noise, but it's sort of slightly more organic. In Tokyo, there's so much tech and there's so many fancy adverts on billboards scrolling down the sides of buildings buses with like audio adverts like it's just weird noise like digital noise everywhere and they're saying they're surrounded by this psychedelic blend of minute little tones and and voices and things combining all the time and they're like in a weird way that is really trippy because they they adjust to it they learn to pick out sounds and anybody that lives in those cities learns to pick out sounds from amidst that kind of melee so the band were kind of musing on the fact that perhaps that's part of where this fascination with saturation and with delay and atmosphere and psychedelia came from. I thought it was like a really interesting take in it that I hadn't heard anybody really articulate before. Yeah, so I, I like it. I like it. It's not my favourite Boris album. I'm, I would have gone for Vane, and Vane is a far more out there album by them. But it is commonly regarded as their standout record. I think it's a really good stepping stone or, you know, gateway into Boris. Because I think it covers, all, I think it has a bit of everything at what they're good at. It's got, you know, the fast, it's got the slow, it's got the sludge, it's got the post-rock. And I think if you were to pick one album to show what Boris can do, then this is the record. Because it, yeah, you know, quite and then probably. you can go into their discography and choose your favourite but you know I I'm happy for this to go in because it's like it's like gateway into a world of madness as ever the public decides on whether or not this record goes into discography so go on our Facebook page and vote uh, we like some reviews please we like we like these things they're yeah, very that would good be fantastic mm. if you could just uh, go to iTunes or whatever, whatever podcast provider you use and just Stick down a good review. Stick yeah. down five stars if and you can. Can you maybe do just again the whole sharing thing? That'd yeah, be just good. tell a pal that you think might be into this. Pick an episode. One pal, two pals. Yeah. Maybe not this episode, but some episodes. <laughs> <again>. <laughs> um, and next week we are going to do Whatever You Love You Are by The Dirty Three. Splendid. My choice. Great. I'll take the heat. Mark will probably say just a bit as much. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I've actually listened to it already and I, I do very much like it, so. Spoiler. <laughs> Cheers, oh, well. guys. Thanks, bye. <laughs>